what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is the show here on TheMesh.TV. We talk about movie reviews, discuss films, and just have a good time doing so. With me, as always, Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. I've recovered from the whole Man of Steel this is the end debacle. Yeah, that was a. If for those of you that maybe didn't listen to our last episode, and uh, we we had some differing opinions on a few films, and I've gotten uh, <laughs> raked over the coals a little bit for my thoughts on Man of Steel. We'll get to that in a little bit. We okay. actually have some listener uh, kind of listener mailbag feedback we want to go into a little bit later on our last episode. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Chris, we're off to a brand new episode. We have new movies Wiping to review. Wiping the slate clean for okay. a little bit on today's show. A review of a film you've probably heard a lot about lately, and one you've maybe not heard anything about, and then a one in between. We do have Disney's The Lone Ranger starring Johnny Depp. We're going to jump into the latest Pixar sequel, Monsters University, and then we'll end with the Australian comedy drama The Sapphire starring Chris O'Dowd. And we'll also dabble into a little bit of movie news, our uh, Foot Candle mailbag, which we're really excited about getting into, and then end with our online picks for films that you may have missed over the recent months or years. Uh, but first, a little bit of reminder about who we are and what we're doing. You're listening to the TheMesh.TV. This is our online network of audio and video programs. that We put out regular episodes, and they're all for free, ready to listen to. So we encourage you to go to TheMesh.TV, check out our show as well as the other shows on the network. This is also being put together by Foot Candle Film Society, which Chris and I are the founders of. We host uh, special screenings in our area every month at a local theater where we try to show some interesting, unique films that may aren't getting the attention in the multiplexes that we think they should. If you want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing with our film society, you can visit us at footcandle.org. We also have all of our Foot Candle Films episodes to listen to on that website as well. So with that, Chris, let's go ahead and get right into our reviews. First up, cue the 1812 Overture, put on your white hat, the Lone Rangers back in the multiplex. From the time of Alexander the Great... No man could travel faster than the horse that carried him. Not anymore. Imagine time and space under the mastery of man. Whoever controls this controls the future. There come a time, King Chris, taking you in the time machine, the foot candle time machine that we do from time to time. Awesome. The year was 2003. Okay. You there? Are you, are you there at 2003? I think I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I don't remember what the pop hits of the day were or any of that, <laughs> but I do know that it was announced about this time, maybe about 2002, maybe go a little bit further back, okay. that Disney was making a film called Pirates of the Caribbean. Ah. Do okay, you remember that? I do remember okay. that time frame. Yes. <laughs> Based on the theme park ride from Disneyland and Disney World. At the time, when that was announced, I distinctly remember the internet basically letting out this giant groan. Like, yes. ugh, really? Absolutely. Disney is now making a movie off of a theme park ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we had that. That was with, the big... With, like, yeah. the Bruckheimer name attached. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bruckheimer attached is like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is way over the top. Yeah. Then they started doing some casting. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Rush got attached. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He's a good actor. You know, not the one you would typically think with just an over-the-top blockbuster money grab movie, but there he is. Sure. Then they cast Johnny Depp, and everybody started getting a little more curious at this point. Odd, Odd, not the first choice we'd put in a big uh, uh, franchise-building blockbuster, but there we go. Sure. Then we've got Gore Verbinski as a director, which not many people knew about. He had done The Ring. He did The Mexican with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. And Gandolfini. Uh, yes, the right. Gandolfini, team. kind of a little connection there with his recent passing. Yeah. So all of a sudden, this film started to get a little interesting. Then the film came out, and it wasn't half bad. Actually, a lot of people really liked the movie. I right. believe you may be one of those people. I was one of those people. Absolutely. I enjoyed it for what it was. I didn't think it was great, but I did like it. I didn't walk away with a bad taste in my mouth at all. 
So here we go. Uh, all of a sudden, Johnny Depp is now this big international box office superstar. They've spawned three sequels off the movie. It made tons of money. Right. So now here we go. The Lone Ranger was announced. Uh, I think we may have mentioned it on Foot Candle about Please a year say. or so ago on our mm-hmm. podcast that they were working on it. Gore Verbinski is again attached to direct. You've got Bruckheimer as a producer. Yeah. Johnny Depp got attached. And everybody thought, oh, Johnny Depp's going to be the Lone Ranger. Nope. Johnny Depp's <laughs> going to be Tonto. Uh, you've got Army Hammer from The Social Network who played the Winklevoss twins, uh, which I thought he was great in that film. I really liked it. Agreed. So I was happy to see him kind of getting into a starring role as the Lone Ranger. And he's kind of playing that straight man role that I think Orlando Bloom had in the Pirates trilogy. Yes. You know, which made Orlando Bloom an even bigger star than he already was. So, Chris, do we have magic in a bottle again? Did the formula work again, or do Verbinski and Depp kind of just need to step away from the blockbusters and go back to some of their more unique, smaller stuff? Wow. Obviously, you know, if you're listening to this review, you probably have seen the movie or have no intention to. I think that's, that's a pretty the good. That's I a think those good, are the camps that are Yeah, happening. I think it's a pretty well-split audience right now. Yeah, and I am surprised at the bandwagon of negativity. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of it could just be with the way it's marketed or so many people are tired of the pirates franchise and immediately haul that negativity over to lone ranger i liked this movie okay was it a perfect movie well no um does the fact i can't help the fact that i've seen the pirates movies i have i haven't seen all mm-hmm. of them but i've seen the first three yeah i think um, most people have seen the first three the fourth one i think you can't even forget that they made right so, yeah. i still want to see it at some point but um mm-hmm. you know I, i'd kind of heard it was bad and everything so I, I think people were tired of the pirates movies and basically this is just jack sparrow dressed up like an indian <laughs> um but yeah. i think that's an unfair criticism yeah um i th- i think that johnny depp you know, he's probably making movies for his kids at this point, but he's still having fun. And I thought that there was enough different about the way he portrayed Tonto that I was able to enjoy the film. And there was there wasn't an actual story that I felt like they were trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say I feel bad for Army Hammer as Lone Ranger. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because in a lot of the movie posters, he's actually like off center and almost cut off a little bit. And like Tonto is like kind of main center. Sure. I mean, granted Johnny Depp's a bigger name and everything, but the movie's called the Lone Ranger, not the Lone Ranger and Tonto. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel sorry for that. And screen time wise, because of the way the movie is framed, constructed, it's told with some flashbacks and Johnny Depp as Tonto is the person kind of giving those. Sure. So he gets immediately more screen time because of that. I think he probably does. Yes. So, but overall, I think it's a fun film. It's you know, okay. it's a summer film. It's not trying to be Oscar worthy or anything, but it's trying to be entertaining. And I felt like it succeeded. So, well, I think you and I are on the same page with this thing okay. because I actually was going to start out by saying I feel really bad for the film because I think it's getting maligned a lot in the in the press unfairly. I um, think so. I d- I'm with you. It's not a perfect film, and I no. do have my little list of dislikes and some problems with the film. But let me cap off what you were saying. On I, I think it was a fun film. I'll tell you, some of the elements in the film I thought worked really, really well. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were actually some scenes and some moments that were just really fun, really great. I'll tell you what I was impressed by more is that I was really dreading the action sequences coming into this Ah, film. Okay, having off Man of Steel. uh, Off of all the recent films we've talked about, you know how I am. I'm not big on CGI, big over-the-top spectacles, just for the sake of throwing it in there. Sure. And the last couple Pirates movies I saw didn't really make me feel very confident that action scenes were going to be handled really well in this film. Understood. Overall, I was pretty impressed with the action scenes that they were fun. They were a little easier to follow than a lot of action sequences we've had in recent movies. I still wish, you know, every time they have a really good action scene in this movie, they still end it or cap it with some really over the top CGI moment. That Mm. kind of bugged me a little bit. I didn't think it needed it. I think you could have really kept this more old fashioned style filmmaking and it would have been a blast. There was just a few moments here and there. It's like, oh, okay, well, I have to have that one little extra moment of this really over the top CGI. Was this released in 3D? I don't know. I don't don't know either. The theater near us that both you and I saw it Mm. didn't give us an option, which I was thankful for because I wouldn't have seen it anyway in 3D. But I wonder if that was just a – it's a studio thing where they had to put that in because that's a 3D. But the good thing is is that it was very few moments. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't annoying at all. Sure. I thought the action scenes are good. I thought Johnny Depp, who I was dreading seeing in this film because I thought he was just maybe playing his same hand over and over again. Sure. He was fun. I mean, yeah, it was – it was still him playing the quirky character and he gets all the good lines, but he was fun. He was a fun character to follow. Uh, the framing of the film was interesting. 
I had a few misgivings with the way the framing was handled. I had a problem with it. <laughs> but overall, I liked the idea, the concept of an old Tonto kind of telling the story. I think it was poorly handled in some places. I would agree. Um, but overall, yeah, it was a fun movie. It wasn't great, but it was a fun movie. It definitely does not des- deserve the huge box office bomb label that it's being given and every the low ratings that I think that every critic in America is giving it. I thought this was a fun movie. I will tell you, for people who think that this is a good one to take your little kids to, mm. it was a little on the violent side. Actually, a lot more violent than so I expected. For a movie yeah, too. I mean, it is PG thirteen. It is, but it's a higher level PG thirteen. It is not good for the little kids. I don't think there's yeah. a few scenes that are one scene in particular is a little disturbing. It's the cannibalism. Scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the violence, cartoony violence, but a couple of them were a little over the top as well. And let so. me, let me, I, you know, overall, I think you and I are on the same mm-hmm. page. Um, I will say the framing that we're talking about, the flashback framing, that bothered me. You were saying how pleased you were with the action sequences. So was I, with the exception of one that kind of gets into some of the territory you're talking about, about kind of the dark tone, like Mm -hmm. there's a cannibalism aspect, but then there's an action sequence that takes place at a mine where some Native Americans are trying to do kind of like a rescue attempt. Oh, right. And there's a, I don't know if it's referred to as a Gatling gun at that point, but there's like an automatic type gun. And it's basically mowing down yeah. lots of people. Yeah, and at that are. point, I was like, okay, even though it wasn't bloody, it just got a little bit more It was a little much. Dark. And I was like, it wow, was. that's pretty graphic. Not graphic, but just intense. See, I, I'm glad I went to go see this to review it. And my six-year-old, I will not go take to go see this movie. Now, my 11-year-old, maybe. I mean, it's right on that border where you're like, okay, if, you're, if your child can handle cartoony violence and over the top stuff and not get freaked out. It's probably fine, but just sure. be cautious about taking the kids to this one. Okay. So what are some things you talked about? Some things you liked. I did too. What are some things you thought maybe uh, could have been improved with it? Well, you know, it comes back to, even though I like the movie and it comes out as a summer blockbuster, you're plopping down nine, 10. It was long. To see it. it was long. Yeah. And you know, I understand, I guess maybe they think they got to make it long because all these other movies are long. And if you get out in 90 minutes, you're going to feel ripped off or, but, for example, that one scene that I mentioned that was the action scene, I feel like you co- totally could have lopped that out or made it a heck of a lot shorter and you would have shortened the running. You're talking about the, the mine and the all mine that, not scene, the yeah. one towards the end. Because no, I actually no, no. thought the end action sequence was just the right amount of length. I thought it was I, fun. I did, too. Okay. And I, I think, um, yeah, so let me, yeah. So yeah. that was one thing that I kind of thought the running time. Specifically, like we've kind of mentioned, I'll go into a little bit more detail. The flashbacks... I feel like we're just used as a crutch in this movie. Hmm. Uh, in Man of Steel, the way they were done, I thought that's an example of flashbacks used well. But for this, you know, the original setup when you see, okay, and then it's kind of told in flashbacks, I guess the number of times that they went back to the character retelling the story, it didn't really make sense why they made the cut. Then it was kind of like, oh, well, we need to make it kind of wake everybody up or mm. have Tonto have even more screen time. Let's cut back and have him do something kind of funny and then throw it back. And It, it was a lot of back and forth. It just didn't seem like there was any reason to throw it back and forth other than it was just to try to make it more interesting. Honestly, I'll tell you what so. I think happened here. And this is probably one of those things where the guys are sitting around planning this movie and maybe Johnny Depp had a lot of input on this. Could be. It's like, we just have this vision of an old Tonto in a museum talking to a kid. And then that just became a, oh yeah, cool. Let's do that. And let's just weave that in throughout the whole film where it really didn't serve any other purpose no. other than just to say, how cool is it to see old Tonto where you think he's a museum guy? And he's, you know, anyway, the whole, it was more of a gimmicky thing than it was right. a necessary for understanding the story. And better. if it had been told more as just bookends yeah. as opposed to True. flashbacks, I think that for well, me, that could have worked better. I didn't mind it as much. I think the thing that bothered me, just so you guys understand, when you're watching the film, there's several moments where they break the fourth wall a little bit in the midst of the story. If you think about the very beginning, you start to hear the flashback and we're taken right to a scene that's actually from the middle of the movie, mm. uh, the bank robbery, okay. well, the robbery of the saloon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it just kind of gets thrown in there. And at one point, Tonto, as they're replaying this, actually looks at the camera like, okay, yeah, you're telling the story. And there's a little bit of that whole meta thing trying to go on. Mm. It, that just didn't work for me. I thought that was really unnecessary. And I would have been fine, I guess, too, with it being more bookends. Just, right. yes, it's an interesting idea for a flashback. Show us the beginning, let us tell the story, and then you come back to us at the end. But we really went back to that present or more modern stuff four or five times, I think, during the movie. So, sure. yeah, I, I'm with you on that. The one character that I was surprised that had as little screen time as they did, not that I just felt like they should have probably left her out or just had a minor actress, was the character of Red that was done by 
Helena Bonham Carter. She was mm-hmm. very like minimal. And I thought she was going to, you know, she's a pretty big actress. And so when she showed up, I was like, Oh, she's going to play like kind of a huge role, but not really. No. She was just kind of like, and her role is pretty there. unnecessary as well. Yeah. So. so I didn't really understand why that was done that way, but you know, there I'll, are several moments of the film where you could have taken out entire scenes and it would not have affected the story at all and helped running and time. helped the running time get <laughs> below two hours. Sure. I, let me just say this to anybody. I know all these movie executives listen to our show and they listen sure they for ideas on future films. Absolutely. I'm telling you, I've never heard anybody say they felt ripped off with their movie ticket because the movie didn't last two hours. I'm just saying it. Okay. Never heard it. <laughs> I've seen just as many people come out of a 90 minute movie saying that was awesome and never feeling like they got ripped off. So do not feel like you've got to make a movie two and a half hours to somehow justify the ticket price. Agreed. It doesn't work that way. All right. Continue. Agreed. <laughs> um, I'll kind of some positives that I want to touch on right quick. Um, cause those, those it's actually kind of my negatives, but, um, do you have some negatives? You want? Um, not that many that I've already not already discussed. The too long was a little bit of an issue. Uh, you know, the fact that they couldn't let well enough alone with some of the action scenes to just be a good old fashioned style shot action scene. But uh, it wasn't bad. Really, it's more of a personal hang up with me. I love the Lone Ranger. I mm. really I actually was one of the guys who kids who went to go see the one that they came out with in the eighties. That was really boring, but I still remember it and liked it. And I like had the soundtrack and listened oh, to wow. all the stuff. Why did they have to make the Lone Ranger army hammer in this movie? Such an idiot. That, the, that's the one thing that just bugs me. It was a story choice. It was a stylistic choice they made, but they really did make him an idiot throughout the pretty much the whole movie, even hmm. to the last scene. He's kind of getting constantly derided by Tonto. He's kind of like playing the dumb guy a little bit. Hmm. That bothered me. I wish that wasn't the case. I can understand starting out as he's building his character, but they really never let him be a smart, intelligent, big hero. Tonto really got all the accolades for that. And that that bothered me a little bit, but that was more of just a personal choice in the story than anything. Sure. Otherwise, it was a fun movie. I liked it too. So what else did you like about it? Well, now these two things I'm going to mention, the first two things, I'm not sure if the filmmakers meant to do this. Okay. But- I found them referential to film history. Okay. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie, there's a kid who has a red balloon. Yes. And he lets it go. I saw that too. So that to me kind of. And the kid kind of looked a little bit like a kid from the old classic film, the red balloon. Yeah. I agree. So I thought I that, was, that was, I saw that as well. But yep. I thought that was really cool. Something mm-hmm. that I do not expect from the Lone Ranger movie. <laughs> yeah. So right away I was like, hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Then there's a scene where they, I think it's when they are beginning to flashback to the old West. Mm-hmm. And they show some bison buffalo and then they kind of show a a shot of a train going by and in the individual windows of the train are kind of like frames of buffalo, kind of like it's a film strip, like Mm -hmm. one very early film strip, like, you know, the train coming to the station that they showed in Hugo. This was another thing like bison out on the prairie or whatever. This was like a archival thing that they were kind of referencing. Yeah. No, I liked it too. I thought that was neat. Those two. And they're again, not something I expected to see in a Lone Ranger movie. Mm -hmm. And I guess for the kid in me, who I wasn't a Long Ranger fan. I mean, I knew who mm-hmm. the Lone Ranger was, but I wasn't really a fan. But um, when they started one of the action sequences and they specifically decided to use the William Tell Overture oh, yeah. for like, and it was towards the end when they did I just thought that was like it was great genius. I thought it was a lot of well, fun. And think about genius. how that whole action sequence started. I know we were like we were talking about the Lone Ranger appears, lassoing yes. somebody, and the music starts, yes. and that music continues through the whole yes. action scene. It's great. It yep. was fun. I, I I was enjoying the movie up to that point, but I think that whole ending scene with the music kind of put it to a next level up for me. So. Yeah, and it helped. Yeah, even though the movie had been long at that point, mm-hmm. when that started, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah this, this movie's is fun. This worth it. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you a couple more things I like. Overall, I thought it was a beautiful looking film. I thought shots, like, you know, the quality of the shots sure. and everything was really, really impressive. Some of the Western scapes were just really look good. This is actually more of the, it captured more of the old style Westerns more than I think a lot of recent, more postmodern Westerns have, where's that old classic Western feel, you know, William Fincher as the bad guy. Yeah. He's not in the film that much, but when he he is, he's pretty effective. Uh, He, and he's unrecognizable. I mean, this, (laughs) the thing is I had to keep reminding myself who this guy was because he's a really well-known actor. He does a lot of character actors acting. Uh, You'd recognize him if you saw him in real life, but in this film, you probably won't recognize him, but he's pretty creepy and pretty good as a villain. Um, So yeah, overall I had a fun time with it. Not a great 
great film, not one I'm just going to go out and tout as one of my favorites of the year necessarily, but it was a very, very entertaining film. Absolutely. Okay, good. Great. All right. So we're off to a good start, Chris. Yes. We're agreeing on something. Last week we didn't. This <laughs> or last time, well, not so much. This time we are. Sure. Let's move on to our second one and see if we can keep that trend going. Where well, it's just going to be a one-sided thing here. I'm the only one to talk about this, but this you can tell me what I, I can tell you what I think about it. Let's discuss briefly the latest Pixar film, Monsters University. Since the very first bedtime, all around the world, Children have known there are monsters hiding in their closets. But what they don't know is those monsters weren't always so scary. They had to go to college first. Monsters University! Anybody getting off? I'm officially a college student! I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> I'm gonna be a scarer! Wazowski, room 319. You know, your roommate is a scaring major, too. Hey, Sullivan. Mike Wazowski. Well, now that we've been introduced. In 1995, Pixar made a great original film. Oh, you're, you're taking me back in the time machine I again, am. too. We we're love the time machine. Yes. We paid for it. Simon. It's, it's still, we're still leasing it. We don't own it yet, <laughs> okay. but you know, we're, we're close. It. Yeah, it's getting its money's worth. Hey, so they made Toy Story, okay? Mm -hmm. But in 1998, they release Bugs Life. Kind of a little bit mm -hmm. of a disappointment. A little bit. next year, 1999, they release Toy Story Two. Two. Goose. Okay. And people were like, whoa, they have their creative stuff already run out. They're having to go back to the well already. Mm -hmm. But following the film wasn't bad. It was, it was okay. And after that, they released a ton of original films. Monsters, yes. Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, WALL-E. Okay. And then 2010, what do they do? They released Toy Story 3. 3. Again, we talked about it on the show at that point. I was like, uh-oh, this is, I think this is bad. I remember but that conversation. It was a good movie. The movie was okay yeah. and, you know, seemingly tied everything in a bow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, immediately following Toy Story 3, they release Cars 2. <laughs> and Brave, which I've gone on record as saying I don't like. Cars 2 is the worst Pixar film they've okay. made. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So now we have Monsters University. Yes. But it's a prequel. It's not a prequel. Necessarily it's different. A sequel. So, <laughs> right. So, would you put this film in the animation country club with the likes of Toy Story 2 and 3 and Wally, mm. or would mm. you put it out in the junkyard with Cars 2? It's somewhere in the middle. Okay. It's, it's a fine film. Okay. And it was an enjoyable film. I had a good time with it. My kids had a good time with it. I like the characters Billy Crystal, John Goodman play uh, Sully and Mike Wazowski. I like those characters. I really enjoyed the original. Sure. This was a fun movie. Was it necessary? No. Uh, could my life have continued along its positive <laughs> enjoyment path without it? Yes, absolutely. It's nowhere near as bad as Cars or Cars 2, I okay. thought. I liked it even more than Brave. Okay. Um, but it's not the top, top, you know, Toy Story quality or The Incredibles, which is still my favorite Pixar film. Okay. Uh, it's not to that level. But it's a fun film. Uh, the problem I've seen with Pixar right now is they're, they seem to be doing more movies that are just fun movies mm -hmm. and not movies that really say anything. Gotcha. Where Toy Story said something, you know, even yes. though it was fun and enjoyable, it was unique and novel and it spoke to you on an emotional level. Wally -E absolutely does mm -hmm. that as well. There's a Agreed. lot more going on with Wally -E than, than just watching a robot have hijinks around. <laughs> this is a very fun movie for the kids. There is a lot of good humor in it. I mean, adults will enjoy the humor, cool. but at the end of the day, it didn't really leave anything with you. If that says anything, you know, we do follow, let me just kind of remind sure. everybody what this film's about. You know, we do get to meet Mike Wazowski and, uh, I think it's Mike Sullivan. I, they always call him Sully. Sully. So I never remember his okay. first name, but Sullivan, they meet them as they're becoming college students. There is a university called monsters university. You go to learn to become a scarer, okay. which in monsters incorporated scares were what powered the whole city. Sure. Is you get the scares of little children. So we're at the university. We, we learn that they don't, are not friends when they first meet. They're actually adversaries for quite a while. Hmm. And then you kind of learn, they be, develop some friendships. There's fraternity life involved. There's a whole competition going on. The scare games where the best team you know, gets to get an award. And so they're fighting for that. Okay. It's just, it, it's, it's a fun, I'll tell you what I enjoy the most about it is sure. it actually, for a kid's perspective, it was a pretty good insight into college life <laughs> without it going, you know, like Animal House or anything. <laughs> sure. It was like a kid's version of Revenge of the Nerds okay. in a way. 
Okay. So from that aspect of it, I enjoyed it because okay. it was fun to watch. And I think my boys probably got a little more of an insight as to what college life could be like, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, from a movie about a bunch of monsters <laughs> than any other film I could show them right now at their age. Sure. So for that standpoint, I thought it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was more of a Disney or DreamWorks animation, funny, haha movie than it was a top tier Pixar film. Got you. If that helps you understand anything now, with it. Sure, definitely. And as far as like lesson teaching and things, this is not Pixar, but it's Disney. So, yeah. you know, it kind of, but liked it better than Wreck-It Ralph as well. I mean, I, I know that's a Disney movie, but yeah, it's still, it was, it was, it was about on the level of Wreck-It Ralph. Let okay. me just say that. I enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph as a fun movie. It didn't really stay with me very long afterwards. This is kind of the same way. Okay. It was fun. The animation was great, of course, as you would expect it to be. Uh, the voice acting was great as well. Those are things that Disney slash Pixar kind of have down pat at this point. Sure. Um, I just wish the stories were a little deeper and a little less predictable than what we were getting now recently. What do you feel like? Do you think they'll probably do a Monsters 3? I mean, this, I think this thing's making a lot of money, so it's very possible. Um, my concern is, you know, Billy Crystal isn't getting any younger. Sure. And I, I'm a, I've heard him in interviews. I'm wondering if they had to do any kind of voice adjustment Really? To make his voice match Mike Wazowski now, because I, I don't know if he can quite carry that voice naturally anymore. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm just saying I've heard him in interviews. He's obviously gotten much older. Sure. Uh, since whenever Monsters, Inc. came out. So right. yeah, it's just speculation on my end. Hmm. It could There could be room for another movie. Who knows? Uh, again, it was, was not a necessary sequel or prequel, but it was a fun movie. I think the kids enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I laughed. You know, it was fine. Cool. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to move on to our last review, Chris. Uh, We're going to talk about a final film here, final film we're going to discuss and review. Chris O'Dowd recruits an Aboriginal girl group to sing soul music in Vietnam. (laughs) Let us proudly introduce you to The Sapphires. Well, today I started loving you. That wasn't terrible. Do you sing anything other than that country and western shite? Sorry, what's going with country and western, Mike? Oh, it's just wrong. Well, what do you think we should sing? If you want to perform for the brothers of Vietnam, you got to give them soul. You're going to manage them, are you? And mold them and shape them. You've got it within you. You just need to let it out. And I wonder And your name again? We're the Sapphires. We'll see you in Saigon. All right, so Chris, we're in the film laboratory here, and we're going to make this formula for a film. Okay. Based on a real-life story. Check. Got you. Takes place during the Vietnam War. Still a very fresh memory for many of the audience. Sure. Check. Uses an assortment of popular soul and R&B music from the 60s. Check. Leading actor is a comedian, giving a little bit more of a dramatic role this time. Hmm. Check. You got somewhat of an underdog story with people rising out of a personal situation and playing a role in a much bigger human conflict. Check. So, Chris, which film do you watch to satisfy this formula? <laughs> the Sapphires or Good Morning Vietnam? Wow. Um, that's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I haven't seen Good Morning Vietnam in a long time. Okay. It would be interesting revisiting that film because it was marketed kind of like I think this one was, Sapphires, as a comedy. Yes. And I went to go see Good Morning Vietnam and the comedy stuff, oh, I loved. But then was kind of surprised then at it some got of the serious. dark turns that yeah. it took. And I do think the Sapphires, I mean, just for those of you not familiar with the film, it is a story, as I mentioned, you know, about a based on a real life story of a group of uh, Aboriginal sisters that were excellent singers. And they decided they're going to go try to make a name for themselves. They meet Chris O'Dowd, who plays someone who becomes basically their pseudo manager. Mm-hmm. And they get into a gig to go play for the troops in Vietnam and grow and experience some things together. So with that, Chris, did the film work for you? I mean, do you think, uh, did it did it play to that formula the right way, or was it too much into the formula to be a really good film? I I, I think the film was trying too hard to be a, a mainstream success. Okay. And for some of the reasons you mentioned, I, I liked Chris O'Dowd in this film. I did too. I thought he was good. He was strong. Yes. But I think they picked him. He had I recently knew him from Bridesmaids. He played Bridesmaids, Police Officer yes. and was funny in that. And I think they tried to get him and have him do kind of a Robin Williams role to mm-hmm. make the movie more marketable, to have it be more funny. 
And I think the movie would have probably, in my opinion, would have been better served if it had been told kind of straighter, so to speak, mm. and been told more of like a history that this is, this happened. And because I found myself wanting to know, they talk a little bit in the beginning about the whole Aboriginal original nature and how down in Australia, you know, it was racism down there. Yes. And then there's some points in the movie where it comes up that they're very along the lines of like how blacks were being treated in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they kind of hit on those but then it seemed like their main purpose was to be kind of, to me, was more like being kind of jokey. And then the this is the director's first movie. It's his first movie, film. The yes. Sapphires. And I think maybe some of that shows. I, you know, it was a fine film, but I think a more seasoned director may have paced it a little bit differently. I, yeah. Uh, you're hitting on some of the things. I think we're going to be on the same page once again, on this, <laughs> which, you know, Uh-oh. from a personal standpoint, makes me feel very happy from an entertainment value for the mm-hmm. listener. Maybe not the most engaging uh, podcast to listen to, but I, I will say I'm, I'm with you on this. I like the film. I enjoyed it. Um, I think in our crowd enthusiastically enjoyed it. We showed it to last night. I, I think a better, more seasoned director could have done more with it. Sure. And I think the pacing was probably my biggest issue too, is I think we spent a lot of time at the beginning getting to know the girls and that was fine. But by the time they got to Vietnam, I thought that whole time was just really quickly paced through and I didn't really get a sense of them absorbing themselves into the fact that they're in Vietnam with a war going on around them until the very end. So I almost feel like the opening bit scenes were good. The closing scenes were okay. The middle part I just felt was very rushed and very, we didn't get enough time to learn and, and, and get to know these girls as well as I think we should have. That being said, I was appreciative that the film was was a fairly good length film. It didn't try to go over the top lengthwise. I like Chris O'Dowd in it, and I didn't mind the humor that was brought to the table. It did keep it entertaining for me. Um, I think when it got time for him to be serious, I think he put enough of a good serious spin on it. I personally don't think I would have enjoyed the movie if we didn't have somebody like Chris Chris O'Dowd in it. So Mm -hmm. I may differ from you a little bit there in that I, I don't really want to see a more typical biography film about this group. I like the fact that it did go for more of the humor in the first half. And that kept me engaged a little bit more. I guess I feel like I, he was one of the main reasons why I'm positive on this film, but I think taking him out of it could have made for a better film because they wouldn't have hinged all their hopes on his performance. I think a lot was hinged on his. I I will give you that. And he did save the film for me. I will give you that. I think a lot of it was dependent on him uh, where they didn't let the girls really grow as stronger characters on their own. Yes. We spent more time focusing on just him and letting him carry the film. I'm with, I'll I'll agree with you on that. The story of those girls and what they had gone through in Australia to me was very interesting because yes. I don't know a lot about that. And so yes. I was more interested in that than I was just a guy kind of riffing on the Good Morning Vietnam character. Of, well, know, I'll so. tell you why I think the, the, the Chris O'Dowd performed really well in this film and I think really helped it out for me. And the choices they made to keep him in the comedy vein or at least being the funny guy for a lot longer. About two-thirds of the way through the film – or maybe halfway through the film, we start to see a flashback about when the girls were young and some very traumatic things happened when they were young back in their homeland. Sure. That's affecting their relationships now. Yes. And one of the, the oldest girl is telling this to Chris O'Dowd's character. And it's a very dramatic scene. I mean, she's telling a very, very uh, upsetting story and you cut to him and where, you know, you could typically have the guy try to be the comforting guy there and drop the whole comedy facade for a little bit. He actually still goes for a laugh, but it's a, it was a, it was a welcome laugh. It was a, I'm going to try to get your mind off of this a little bit and let's, let's have fun with it. That scene really worked for me. And I'm glad they had somebody like him playing that. Yeah. Cause I didn't need to see him turn on the sappy side and try to be <laughs> Mr. Emotional all of a sudden when he hadn't been up to that point. I think he played those scenes right. And I think it worked for me. The problems I had with the film, I, I mentioned the pacing. I just thought, I wish we could have breathed a little bit more when they actually got to Vietnam. The scene of them coming into Vietnam and, and getting acclimated there was so quick and sure. so fast and more like a montage. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I really, I, I don't think they really showed us the gravity of the situation that all of a sudden they're now in this war torn hostile situation. And we just didn't get that until the very last scene. And I feel like they had some opportunities. There was one point where they had to go unescorted to another location. There was opportunities for them just to naturally see some stuff that they probably wouldn't have otherwise seen. And they didn't. The whole unescorted part really actually didn't amount to anything, which right, I was which kind of they surprised kind of built by. It up. Yeah, yeah. And then turns out that was gone in a few minutes and they're on to their next gig. Sure. Um, the film was very formulaic. I mean, I 
pretty much predicted what the beats and the the steps of the story were going to be from very, very early on. And I think most of the audience could have as well. That's not to say it was a bad film. It's just is very easy to predict. And it did follow a very, very static formula from beginning to end, I thought. I, um, I agree. And the way they handled the girl's first performance mm-hmm. and they were playing an acoustic guitar and the, the way they handled that performance, I was really excited for the way they were going to handle the rest of the musical numbers. But then I felt like, kind of like you say, once they got to Vietnam, they stopped really being interesting when they would perform a song, and it was more just mechanical. And that was that was kind of a like, yeah, I'm with you on that too. Maybe a more practice director, or mm-hmm. just they somehow would have made it a little bit more. I loved the music. I mean, I'm a big fan of of uh, the R and B music, uh, Motown classics, and I sure. love it. And I love any mu- movie that can really good well well <laughs> use that really well in a film. I do think the shots of them playing the songs were pretty static. I mean, it were just not a fun uh, film representation of them performing the songs. But the music itself was great. You know, sure. I enjoyed the use of the music. I thought some of the dialogue was pretty forced and a little cliche in a lot of places, too. You know, just typical things you get with a formula film like this. Sure. But for a formula biography or inspired by a real story film that mixes comedy and drama and music, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film, just... It could have been so much better. I sure. guess that's my my take on it. So yeah, I'm I'm on the same page. The thing that kind of you mentioned in the Lone Ranger it was the action sequence towards the end. They played the William Chill, and that kind of not saved the movie, but that kind of let you know how you were going to feel about the mm-hmm. movie walking out of the theater. Unfortunately, with this movie, I liked it, but what kind of pegged how I felt about it? Like you're saying, is a little formulaic. Mm-hmm. There's a dance number, performance number towards. The, it's at the end of the film, mm-hmm. and they use some slow motion with it. And they use it a lot. And they, you know, kind of care. And then they kind of slow it down and have them do it. And oh, it was right. Just like, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. it, it was just pulling heartstrings, sentimentality. And, you know, I understand the type of movie it is. It's trying to, you know, be light, trying to be a feel good movie. But it's the difference when you're playing, like if you're playing a piano and you're, you hit the notes and you just play them and you, you're playing the notes. Mm-hmm. Or you play the notes and you sustain it with a sustained pedal. And it's just like you're milking something. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Especially with that sequence at the end, the song performance, I was just like, oh, you know, why, yeah. why do you have And you're talking about back in Australia there. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, I thought that was a little, that was on that formulaic side. That mm-hmm. was the let's milk it. And now let's show the credits where we show people the real people nowadays or, or show them about themselves. The typical biography. Right cliches that you go through I, I thought those were a little forced at the end as well so sure. overall enjoyable film i liked it i had a good time with it christo dowd to me really made the film successful in my mind the music was really good i just wish a better director or a more seasoned director could have really elevated this to a much much better film uh, it's a shame to see such a great story and such a great concept get regulated to a very by the numbers type of film Sure. So, okay, good. So three films, we uh, well, the two that we both saw, we both agreed with each other. So uh, mm-hmm. that was different. That was good. <laughs> that was very refreshing. I liked there it. You go. Uh, I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a quick little bit of news. I want to follow up on a film that I know Chris has recently seen, and I'm curious to hear his thoughts on. Okay. Uh, we're going to do a little bit from our Foot Candle mailbag from our listeners, and then we'll end with our recommendations of films that you might have missed in recent years. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan. This is Chris. Hello. And uh, we're back. We just had our reviews in the first half of the film, uh, our first half of the episode, talking about Monsters University. We talked about the Lone Ranger. We talked about the Sapphires. Gave you some good feedback. All three were saying good movies. Sure. Check it out. It sounds like we were actually a little more enthusiastic than we expected about the Lone Ranger. Um, I'm saying Monsters University is a good, good kids film, fun film to check out. And the Sapphires, a good film with even greater potential that unfortunately we just feel like it missed. So as we come back here, Chris, I did have a little bit of news to get okay. into with this one item in, in particular. You and I are both on Letterboxd, yes. which we really like that service. Yes. wholeheartedly encourage our listeners to go check it out. Letterboxd.com without the last E. So letterbox with a D at the end. 
com. If you go, it's a free service. You can go check it out. You can log the films you've seen, rate the films, give it a star rating of the ones you've seen, and check out what other people on the network are watching. So, Chris, of course, I follow you. You follow me. Yeah. I see what you watch. Mm-hmm. You recently saw Skyfall, did you not? I did. The James Bond, recent James Bond film directed by Sam Mendes. So here's my news item. It was just announced yesterday that Bond number 24, which will be the next Bond film, uh, Sam Mendes is coming back to direct it after all. There was a lot of rumors that he wasn't going to do it because he was like one and done. He was working on a stage performance of something and he didn't want to do Bond Hmm. because of that work in the theater. Well, they worked out a deal. I guess the money got a little too good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to do Bond 24 coming out, I don't think, for another two more years. There's still some more time on that. Did but he, he is coming did back. Did he write Skyfall or no? Ah, I don't remember about the writing. Okay. I don't know. So seeing that in the news, and it just hit last night that I saw that, and I thought, well, oh, Chris has seen Skyfall now. Mm-hmm. I reviewed Skyfall as just myself on yes. the show months ago. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, what did you think of Skyfall? I I really really liked it. Did you? And I was surprised at how much I liked it okay, because good. it, you know, it would make me go see the next James Bond theater in this theater mm-hmm. as opposed to just checking it out on DVD or streaming it, which is what I did with this one. Because in general, it doesn't impress me. When the new James Bond reboot came out, Casino Royale, I did go see that in the theater because I was interested and yeah. it was really good. Yep. And then, like you said, the second one came Quantum out. Quantum of and, Solace was yeah. not good. And then I was just kind of like, okay, now it's back to James Bond movies and I don't really care about them. But this kind of changed my tune again. And I really wish that I had seen this one in the theater mm-hmm. because, I granted, I saw it at home. It was on my big screen TV. It was nice. But I think in the theater, the Roger Deakins cinematography would mm-hmm. have been even more incredible. Yeah. So I, I regret that I didn't see it in the theater. Well, Sam Mendes coming back. I think that's encouraging. You know, I, I liked... I like this concept of them kind of mixing up different unique directors each film. I think that idea is great. But when Skyfall works, and it's the highest grossing James Bond film ever, Mm. by the way, I think they're probably smart to say, you know what? That worked. Let's not monkey with it right now. Let's just keep him on board for a little bit longer. (laughs) That's smart. And in a way, too, you know, Skyfall did set up by the end. It had kind of set up a new status quo for everything. Yes. It's going to be kind of fun to see Sam Mendes go back and kind of flesh out that new status quo a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There's every possibility that Bond 24 could actually be kind of a restart of the classic James Bond we've seen because now all the right characters are in place. The right format is set up. Right. Could be interesting. So I thought that was kind of good news to hear last night. And to me, that that could be a very big challenge to take the original formula now that all the elements are in place and to make it interesting. It's kind of like, okay, now you got this really thing. Now what are you going to do? Because how are you going to make it interesting and not just a retread? A retread of what? Like Wrath of Khan or or Man of Steel is of the second Superman. How are you going to? How are you going to own it? Good point. <laughs> so, Good point. I'm, I'm, but I'm glad that Sam Mendes is back because I feel like if anybody can do it, obviously he did it once. He can probably do it twice. Yeah, I so. agree. I agree. Uh, let me throw in one more piece of news. Just sure. because, I, Only because we've talked about basically two Disney films so okay. far in the show. Uh, we talked about Lone Ranger, which is pure Disney. Mm-hmm. Then we talked about Monsters University, which is Pixar. But, of course, Pixar is owned by Disney, so sure. it all works out. There's a film coming out, I think this December, called Saving Mr. Banks. You know anything about it? No. Okay, here's the premise. Is it uh, animated or? Really? No, it's, okay. it's live action. It stars Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson. Okay. And it is a Disney film, but it is about the making of Mary Poppins. And it stars really? Tom Hanks as Walt Disney, stars okay. Emma Thompson as the author of Mary Poppins. And supposedly their dealings, Walt Disney trying to convince her to let them turn Mary Poppins into a Disney film. Huh. Bringing her to the States trying to talk her through the concepts for the film, her not being very agreeable to things, there being a lot of conflict and all that, and <laughs> some sort of relationship, not not anything romantic, but more of the, the relationship between Walt Disney and this author to try to get her to come on board to make help him make the film. Wow. Now, it being a Disney film, you don't know how. they're not going to go to, on. I mean, Walt Disney's personal life, you know, although great man, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories about the kind of character he, he could have been. He did have some quirks. I would imagine those are probably not going to get played up very much in this film. Right. I would imagine everything's a very happy ending, obviously, type of film. But Tom Hanks as Walt Disney could be interesting. I'm kind of curious I, to see how that would go. Anybody playing Walt Disney, actually, yeah. I think would be kind of uh, – has he 
Not, I don't think I've ever seen him portrayed in a film. If it if it has been, it's been a very very small part in like another Hollywood type film. Right, right, yeah, right. but not like in a starring a role. Right, yeah, right, no, right. I can't think of it either. Huh. The trailer came out the other day. Is why oh. I'm bringing bringing it up because okay. you can watch the trailer online. Even though Chris, I know uh, you, you're not you're adverse to trailers. I am. This is probably one of those though that it gives you a better sense of what the film is going to be about, whether you're interested or not. Okay. So as opposed to a film that you're already looking forward to and a trailer may just ruin it for you. Sure. This is one where I kind of feel like I need to watch the trailer to see, is this the type of film I have any interest in seeing or not after watching it? Yeah. Jason Schwartzman's in it as well. Plays, really? a, plays a role. Yeah. He's like a, either a composer writing, huh. uh, super califragilisticexpialidocious. Wow. Uh, wow. uh, yeah. He has a good moment in the trailer. It's kind of funny. So, uh, huh. yeah, I'd recognize, I yeah, recommend you check it out. It, I'm curious about it. Do you know, is the release for this year or is I it think it's this December. I mean, the trailer's out. It's a full okay, trailer. So, so Oscar so, bait. Yeah. Okay. Very well could be. Yeah. Huh. So that's all I have for the news. Uh, Bond 24, Sam Mendes is coming back to direct it, just like he did Skyfall, and Saving Mr. Banks with Tom Hanks. Um, check out the trailer, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear our listeners. What do you think? Does this look like it uh, could be that Oscar contending movie, or is this going to be a uh, sugary sweet Disney film uh, like some of the other kind of real-life stories they've done in the past? I'm going to so. throw out one more thing. Yeah. Uh, we're, go- we're going to do... The whole trailer thing at some point. We'll talk about yeah. trailers that we like. I don't know when, but at some point we'll do that. But sitting in for The Lone Ranger, I saw a trailer, and the first thing I said was, Oscar bait. And since I just mentioned that for the mm-hmm. the movie you were talking about, The Butler, did you see that oh, trailer? yes. Okay. And this is a story about a gentleman who's an African-American mm-hmm. who gets to work in the White House as a butler and kind of his mm-hmm. journey. Um, has a lot of big people in it. Forrest Whitaker, it Oprah Winfrey. Those are just the two that first come to my mind. But they're, I mean, a bunch is. Oh, yeah. It was a people. huge cast. Right. Um, so from your response, you're thinking. Well, I tell you, I, I, here's what I, I saw the trailer. And, sure. if, and all I'm thinking the whole time is, okay, they're trying to recapture. Oscar well, and they're <laughs> trying to get, recapture Farce Gump. Ah. Because the movie was basically, here's a guy that starts on one path of life. And he becomes so connected with presidents and real uh, stories of things through human history and we're following and him this through is that based story on a true story yeah it is okay. it is um but i will say it's lee daniels who did precious okay uh the movie precious he also did the paper boy which i never saw but i heard some very interesting things about yeah um, same here so to see him do a very oscar mainstream film that looks like a more classic hollywood film from what the trailer looks like is interesting mm-hmm. um that's the only thing about the film and the fact that I do like Farce Whitaker that I'm intrigued by. The rest of the, the trailer really made this film look like it's just, yes, we are going for Oscar nominations out the wazoo here and we're going to pull every <laughs> stop we can to get it. Sure. But, you know, an interesting director, an interesting lead actor, I could be game for it. I don't yeah. know. I, I was surprised that even though I felt like it was beating me over the head with this is an important movie, this is going to be Oscar worthy. I guess because of the cast, I didn't even notice yeah. the director, but I was like, okay, um, I'm, I'm interested. Could be. It could be. I'll, I'll need to understand more about the film, I think, to really see where my interest level goes on. That was the sure. first I'd heard about the film when yeah, I saw that trailer. Yeah. Well, Chris, now we've got something very, very exciting. Okay. Um, we've always wanted to do kind of a foot candle mailbag segment. And, you know, we've had some emails come in. We've had some notes. We've just never really worked it in the show. We're going to take a moment here and at least read one feedback we've gotten to one of our reviews. Okay. All right. Excellent. And uh, let me, I haven't read this yet, so let me just scan it really quick. Sure. Nope. Never mind. We're not going to read this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, because this one actually disagrees with my uh, Man of Steel review. Ah. Actually, which I will say, a lot of people have chastised me a little bit about my Man of Steel feedback, where I think probably the fact that I used the word sucked at one point (laughs) (laughs) turned a few people off. I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't think of a more sanitized <laughs> word to use that came to mind at that point. But let me okay. read. We did have an email from Nicholas. He's in Greenwich, uh, Connecticut, okay. talking about our Man of Steel review. Right. I will say the first sentence, uh, I, I have a problem even saying, but he's writing to you and saying, Chris, I tend to agree with your review more than Alan's. Ah. Dagger in the heart. Right there, <laughs> Nicholas. All right. He says, I think Snyder, who's Zack Snyder, the director, that Snyder tends to sacrifice story for action, though, well, which I do agree with. I, uh, he's saying he agrees with your, your review, but overall, yes, he does see that Snyder tends to sacrifice story for action. Okay. Lois and Clark just kind of fall in love. There's no real connection in the movie for why they love each other. Also, the thing that bothered me about the movie is they spend the entire movie showing Clark not fighting growing up. General Zod was the military leader of Krypton, and Clark does away with him pretty easily. Hmm. 
good point. I hadn't thought about that. If Zod had beaten Superman and tortured the world while Superman could only watch, that would have been a more realistic story. Okay. I don't think Christopher Nolan, who was the producer of the film, mm-hmm. wanted to go that route since it is what happened in Dark Knight Rises. Oh. But to watch someone who has never been in a fight face off against a supreme warrior, which Zod is supposed to be, knocked it down a little bit for me. But overall, he's saying he did enjoy the film and he agreed with your take on it more than he did mine. But some interesting notes on it. I hadn't really thought about it. Sure. Superman, we don't see Superman having to fight anybody until Zod shows up. And all of a sudden, he's pretty much mopping the floor with Zod most of the time. Hmm. It's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Well, I'll address address that. Let me address the romance thing first. Okay, sure. Um, It's true. He doesn't really spend a lot of time on that relationship, but... Because I guess I'm a guy, and um, I, I don't you didn't usually, want to see. Anymore. I usually get irritated at that stuff. I mean, and I kind of know going in because I've seen other movies. It's like, yeah, you know, Lois and you know Clark, Clark Kent, they're gonna get together. Like that's gonna happen. So you were happy with them just kind of cutting right to it. Oh, yeah. they're now in love. I mean, and I kind of yeah. felt like you know she did him the favor by not exposing him as Superman. I, so it, it worked for me, but I could see people saying it needed a little bit more development. But for me, yeah. it was it was just enough. The whole the whole thing not showing him fighting, yeah. I guess that does, you know, yes, he's strong. I mean, he rescued people off an oil derrick and he does like a school bus rescue type thing. But yeah, that doesn't, yeah. Him, him being able to beat up a military tactician like Zod so With, easily. That's what he does. That's what Zod always does. Although could the argument be that because uh, Superman has been on Earth so much longer. True. And of course, the whole idea is you're on Earth and the Earth's sun is kind and of giving him the power. What's going he's on. probably Acclimated. stronger. Sure. Zod's only been on Earth maybe a few weeks total sure. that could be part of the problem too true i i could kind see of the response I, back to nicholas i, I liked i liked the way in the film that they showed zod kind of discovering what was going on like you know he had problems with i guess it was the supernatural hearing and he could hear everything mm-hmm. like he had problems with that he had problems with the uh laser vision yeah that's a good point see clark so, had all those years to kind of get used to all those all those extra extra sensitive right senses and zod didn't i mean zod got kind of bombarded with it at one point and then after a few minutes is like he's ready to start fighting again so yeah. so I, you know i i guess i would come out still defending the movie saying that's why it was okay for him to be able to be beat, beat yeah. up zod but it is an interesting point this is just one more reason for me to pick apart the movie and say that i was still very disappointed <laughs> by it uh again i love the first half well i liked the first half very gotcha. much hated the second half so i really just oh, man Mm. still just makes me mad thinking about it now. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Nicholas, for your email. We really appreciate it. And uh, everybody else, please send us a note. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Anything about reviews that we've given, uh, if you've got some feedback on other films you've seen that we haven't talked about that we ought to check out or recommend, we'd love to do that as well. You can write us at info at TV. Or you can catch us at info at footcandle.org. Either one of those work fine. Uh, You can also just go to the websites. And on each of those two websites, there is a contact us page. You can just fill out a little quick form, send it to us. We'll make sure we get it. So you can go to themesh.tv or footkindle.org. Either way, we're at both sites. You can find us there. All right. So, Chris, let's wrap up the show here with what we traditionally do, where we'd like to talk about our recommendations for the audience Something, a film that maybe they've missed in recent years, maybe one from the past that needs a little more attention or even a more new film that just came out that has kind of flown under the radar. Uh, Anything we can kind of call some attention to a film that people can actually find through iTunes, Amazon, Netflix, whatever it may be nowadays. So you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. (laughs) Chris, what do you have for us today? I'm going to recommend the 2010 film by Peter Weir, The Way Back. And um, it stars, you know, lots of big people, Colin Farrell, Mark Strong, Jim Sturgis, Ed Harris, uh, Saoirse Ronan, I think is how you say her name, from Mm -hmm. Atonement. Right. Um, And it basically tells the story of some people that escaped from a Siberian gulag and walk over 4,000 miles to freedom in India. Wow. So kind of an incredible story. And it's based on a book, which I have actually read. Um, Mm -hmm. Surprise, I guess. But I have actually read. And... I thought it was really interesting the way they chose to adapt it. He does not go for a lot of emotion. He just kind of lays everything out there and you take it how you take it. Not a fast paced movie. Mm-hmm. It is kind of long, 120 minutes or over 120 minutes. He said Peter minutes. Weir directed this, right? Peter Weir, yeah. Okay. The guy who gave you the Truman Show and yep. Master and Commander, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah. And didn't he do uh, Dead Poet Society? 
I believe he might have. Okay, yeah. So, you know, guy makes good films. That's why I had read the book, and I heard they were making a movie out of it, and I was like, really? I don't really see how that's going to work. And then I saw his name attached to it, and I was like, interested. And it really kind of came and went. I don't think a lot of people saw it, and so this is an opportunity for you to see it. I strongly recommend it. One of the things that I'll say, I was kind of surprised. Um, in the book, there is a reference to when they're going through, I guess it's the mountains of Tibet, they kind of have an encounter with what they kind of, they don't say it, but they Mm -hmm. kind of hint at the fact that they think it's like a Yeti or an abominable snowman. Okay. They they just have this, like some weird things go on and then they end up kind of skirting around this entity, this creature and like leaving it out because they're afraid they're going to get killed or whatever. Oh, wow. And I was interested because I was like, wonder how they're going to handle that in the movie. Never a mention of it. (laughs) And I think that was probably a good decision. Hmm. Um, But it just, so that's, you know, that's the kind of good hand you're in. Like you could have put that in and then everybody would have wanted to see this movie because I imagine that would be a big kind of drama. Oh, yeah, it's this right. movie of people struggling and then they come across an Obama, you know, and I think that would have drawn a lot of people to the movie, but totally left out. Interesting. So yeah. I, I had heard of the film. I really didn't know much about it. So now I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah, so thank it's you. Good. And it's thank available you. on Netflix. Thank you, Chris, for the recommendation. I now have another film to watch this weekend. So, <laughs> well, mine, uh, this is a... Gosh, I don't remember how long ago this film was. It wasn't very, just a few years ago. Okay. 2007, eight, maybe. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I I'm looking it up right now and I'm not seeing it. Okay. But the film is Rachel getting married. Oh. Did we show this at a foot candle screening? I don't think so. No. Okay. I think it was right before. We got yeah, kind of started, started on that. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demme, who director of Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. one of my classic favorite films, uh, directed this film, but you would not. I would have watched this film and not thought of it being a Jonathan Demme film at all. Uh, this is a film starring uh, probably one of her earliest roles before she became like the superstar and Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Rosemary DeWitt, who I really like in a lot of films as well. Deborah Winger, who I hadn't seen in a film in a really long time, but she plays the mother of these two sisters. Uh, and then you've got Bill Irwin, who I'll, I'll get to, back to him in a second as okay. the father. This is a story of a young woman who's been in rehab for like the last 10 years or so. And she's coming back home, returning home for the weekend for her sister's wedding. Uh, she's Which a would be Rachel. Yeah. Rachel is the <laughs> okay. one getting married. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, we've got, uh, Kim is Anne Hathaway, who gotcha. is the one in rehab that comes back for the wedding. And it's a, they, they have a very interesting family dynamic. Um, hmm. there's a lot of drama under the surface that you start to learn more about as the weekend goes along. What I really love about this film though, is this is one of those films where they're shooting it like it's a documentary. Hmm. You kind of get this handheld feel. You're following people down hallways and all, but it's not a documentary. Obviously it's a, it's a dramatic acted film, but it never gets in the way. It never, they never go over the top with trying to make it look like a documentary. It just has that natural feel where you really feel like you're just sitting in the room listening to these people talk and it's natural dialogue and natural scenes. That's great. I got to point out one scene in particular There's a scene with Bill Irwin who plays the father, Paul. Here's this guy. He has two to me, just great scenes in this film. Uh, His, his daughter, Kim has come home from rehab and you kind of get this impression that everybody knows Kim is kind of a a nightmare at times and she can really (laughs) throw everything on its ear. I think everybody's very nervous Mm -hmm. about the fact that Kim is now home for the weekend. And Kim has a quick dialogue with her, her father in the hallway and Kim saying, you know, dad, can I borrow the car? Mm -hmm. And you can just see on his face, this whole, he wants so hard to be this loving, caring father, but he is scared to death about what his daughter (laughs) Kim's going to do. And I just think this guy plays it so well. And I mean, just so realistic that it's like, well, you know, Kim, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little nervous about some things. I want to help and all that. He's trying so hard to be the supportive father to a daughter that has probably been a handful for years to come. Gotcha. Then there's another scene where we find out that they had a sibling who had passed away in an accident hmm. um, that slowly starts to come about over time. And they have a scene in the, this is a party weekend. I mean, they're having this huge festive party for this wedding. They've got all these friends and family in for the weekend staying. And they have this thing uh, where they're having a competition kind of impromptu in the kitchen to see who can load a dishwasher quicker. I was going to ask you, I've seen this film, but it's been a while. And I thought like there was a cool scene about yeah. stacking a dishwasher. Yeah. Okay, so it is this movie. And then basically it's like one of the guys is like, Oh, I can stack a dishwasher faster it's than you can. It's the groom. It's the groom. Yeah, right? the groom. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. father's like, Oh no, you can't, and whatever. And they kind of have this real playful who can stack a dishwasher faster. But it ends on this completely abrupt note where one of the dishes that somebody hands them to put in is a dish that I think the son who had passed away had made. And the father sees that dish and it just immediately tone changes almost to the point of him breaking down. And it's just, man, it was a powerful scene. Yeah, it was just that is good. 
that really got me. So this whole movie to me was just so natural. I mean, just watching these people, I never felt like anybody was acting really. Uh, it was just a very effortless film. I loved it. That was great. I've seen it twice since then and uh, still holds up for me really well. So Rachel getting married, I, you know, it's an emotional film. It's a tough film at places, but if you really want to see some really solid acting and feel like you're really in the room with these guys as they're having these, these conversations, I think this film does a great job with that. It's, it's a good one. If you like Robin Hitchcock, he's also in the film performing at the wedding. He's a musician. Oh, that's right. I, I really like that. Robin Hitchcock and don't see enough of him. And he, like you're saying, it has this kind of very documentary steady cam flowing around and they kind of come across the musicians and they spend a little bit of time and he's like singing a song, just hanging out. And it's neat. One criticism I know some people had that I saw the film with is that the wedding reception party goes on really long. And it is a long sequence of just watching people dance and party and all that. Huh. It works for me, though, because not only was it shot extremely well and it's infectious to watch with the music, but it really is. I mean, by the end of the film, you kind of need to see this festive environment for a while. And it's just it worked okay for me. But I do know some people who've said, wow, that scene just really goes on a really long time. So (laughs) for what it's worth. Uh, So that's our recommendations there. The Way Back and Rachel Getting Married. So two films we recommend you check out. I know for a fact Rachel Getting Married is on Amazon Prime Instant Video. So if you're one of those Prime members, you actually get all those instant videos for free. It may be on Netflix, too. I'm not sure. I have to check and see. Uh, But either way, two films we think you all check out that probably did not get as much attention during their theatrical run. So, so Chris, that comes to the end of our show. We reviewed uh, some, some pretty good films there. The Sapphires, Monsters University, The Lone Ranger, all ones that we can say have some merits to check out, some more than others. We talked about a little bit of movie news. Sounds like uh, excited about Bond and Sam Mendes coming back for the next Bond film. Absolutely. Um, and then a couple good recommendations there for people to check out in their free time when they are looking for a good movie that maybe they missed from the years past. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate all the support and listening and feedback that we get. Again, we'd love to hear from you. If you got any questions, thoughts, comments on anything we said during this show, you want to agree, disagree, you want to jump on the Man of Steel bandwagon with <laughs> Nicholas and Chris here, you can certainly do that. I'm, I've got thick skin. Bring it on. You, um, you can just reach us through email or the website like we mentioned before. Uh, the mesh.tv go back and listen to old episodes. If you want to hear any reviews of films that we've given in the past, somebody defend, this is the end. I mean, somebody defend that. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, you know, <laughs> we didn't get any feedback on you. You kind of trashing that film, even though I was positive on it. So yeah, see, I, I see how it is. Alan trashes a film when I get all the hate mail. Chris trashes a film and nobody cares. Everybody's, oh, Chris is great. We love Chris. So I see how it is. But go back and listen to old episodes and, and check out any, any movies uh, that you may be interested in watching. See if we've done a review on it. Maybe uh, chime in on your, on your discussion with that with us as well. Follow us on letterboxd.com. We'd love to see you there as well. And uh, start posting up whatever films you've been watching so we can share with you and see what you think of different films and movies you're watching at the moment. So with that, we're going to go and wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody next time on Foot Candle Films. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. And out. So, Pacific Rim. (laughs) Actually, I have to say, from a lot of stuff I've been seeing on Twitter... It might, it might, which is bad because that makes me then go in thinking, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I have an expectation where I was thinking I was going to absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson, director of Brick and Looper, like he likes Pacific Rim. I'm like, really? Because mm-hmm. okay. mm-hmm. to me, it just looks like an absolute mess. It looks like Transformers. That's what it, it, it looks does. Like. And that, and, and that's I hated those. Movies. I keep reminding myself before I start to get any level of excitement for that film. I keep reminding myself, I hated Transformers, yeah. all of them. And you hate action that's like that. Well, I hate action that's all just 
blurry. Let's use let's go fast action where it's hard to follow and just overload it with explosions and buildings crashing and all that. That I hate. So you but, made the Avengers. Oh wait, <laughs> the Avengers to me was much better than that. I know, um, I know. And uh, and even the old classic big monster movies and big robot movies, I still like. You know, okay. because at least. I don't know. I know it's going to be did tough. Did you like Godzilla that the Emmerich, Roland Emmerich did that came out? I actually kind of did. Really? And I'm the only person I know who did because everybody else trashes that film. I I didn't think it was perfect, but right. I thought it was okay. Okay. Huh. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, but I am trying to go in with some level of tempered expectations because, yeah. Have if you it, been seeing stuff that people have been like? I'm trying not to. Okay. I'm really trying not to read anything about it. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I've I've got the sense that people are generally positive about it, but – Trying to again just be very, <clears throat> be very conservative with sure. my take on it because I just nothing will be more upsetting to me if thirty minutes into this film I'm just like, oh god, I've got a headache. I want this thing to end. So I hope that's not the case. Okay, cool. So I am planning on seeing it this weekend. I'm probably going to go tonight with Alex, but we'll okay. see. Which, the only is thing, it PG third? It's PG third. It is, but actually, the one thing I did read about, I read a little bit from a, the whole parents' perspective, is that. It's actually for a PG-13 movie with a lot of action in it. It's not a violent movie. I mean, uh-huh. you know, you've got monster and robot. Being beaten up by robot. Which right. they said if you're going to take a, a preteen to a PG-13 movie, this is one that's okay to do. So, so. it's not scary. It's just. That's what my understanding is. Yeah. Right. My understanding is it's, it's definitely hmm. where kids could appreciate it and enjoy it more and not okay. be freaked out by it. So.